What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson, Ja Rouse, of course. We've got Jays. We got them for days. We've got them in person, and we've got them on video. How Josh, about that? Josh, how you doing? You know, hasn't been the greatest week. Lots of tragic passings in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Country in turmoil again. Right. But I must say, I did enjoy getting to sort of escape with the NBA draft. And yes, we now have video. We're going to be on YouTube. There are positives in this dark time. Yes. Please bear with us in our clearly makeshift video set here. We're we're working on it, okay? Be patient with One us. One step at a time. We very much appreciate that. Um, but as we kind of do this more and more, we'll get things kind of more set in and uh, and go from there. Of course... If you're listening uh, to just the audio version, that will always be there very much. A If you're a podcast, you have to put just as much effort into the audio as some of the other digital content stuff that we want to try and do uh, kind of into the summer and as we move towards uh, the 2022-23 season. But, okay, do you consider the draft the beginning of the year or the end of it? Beginning, absolutely. Because I think technically it's the end of the NBA's calendar. I think you're right, right. Because the actual transaction and then free agency is the start. Is of, the start of next year? I think I, you're right. But you're right. It just kind of seems like that the best way to start the year is to get some new players. Right. Why would the Why would the players who worked in the NBA signal the end of that NBA season? Right. That makes no sense. The new guys coming in signal. Yes. And Adam Silver said something about that in his opening remarks last night of closing the book on. 2021 22 yeah so i think the commissioner feels the same way i think so too it just it just kind of makes sense it just kind of makes sense but 2022 nba draft last night 58 picks not 60 um because of tampering right yeah whatever gotta love it um so, you know i was explaining to somebody last night why would they do that i was like you know probably because when you when you miss out on the middle of the second round pick if you get a guy you were trying to get and you have to the price you have to pay apart is just like some guy from Europe that may or may not make it to the NBA at some point, it's kind of a price worth paying. Right. And, you know, it was, what, the Bucks in the Heat? Yeah. You're probably drafting and stashing guys anyway, like you said. Right. It's not like there are a lot of roster spots available on those two teams. They're quite good. Speaking of the Bucks, <laughs> did you see that uh, Grayson, Mur- Grayson Murray got uh, signed a two-way deal with the Bucks? That's a very for him. That's a very two-way deal. Uh, that's a very Bucks move as far as I'm concerned. But um, kind of has a Sam Merrill kind of vibe. Not the sure. same player, but the same same kind of vibe. But 2022 NBA draft. Um, before we kind of dig into the top of the draft, some of the overarching stuff, some favorite picks, some least favorite picks, all that fun stuff. Um, gut reaction to the way the draft went, whether it's the order, whether it's um, the movement. Um, what was your feeling on draft night um, and kind of the vibe you were feeling as we're going through the hours of picks last night. My thing was, this is the most logical draft I've ever seen. I, I was looking for places where I didn't like picks. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find any, and we'll get into this later. And then all of a sudden, right there at the back, you know, last seven or so picks of the, the first round, we decided, now is the time to draft all of these guys who didn't do anything at college and are these big long-term projects and all of your patented potential raw athleticism guys. Right. Just out of nowhere, they just all started going off the board, and that's where I started having some issues. But that was my big thing is I was just going team by team. That makes sense. I like that. That's a good fit. There wasn't anything 
usually there's a pick or two that I have a real issue with, whether it's personally uh-huh. from a fit perspective of I wanted that player somewhere else, or a I don't know what that team was thinking doing that. Right. I mean, the Knicks are going to be the Knicks, mm-hmm. but if that's the talking point we're coming out of is the fact they traded all of these picks for other picks and cleared some cap space to potentially go after Jalen Brunson, and that's the big what are they doing out of yeah. the draft. To me, that means everybody had a pretty good night. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I feel so bad for Knicks fans because as a longtime Grizzlies fan, Chris Wallace was at the—we uh, were at the mercy of Chris Wallace for years— uh, when it came to the draft and now King Kleiman he just does whatever he wants and we're like oh you want Jake Laravia oh like kind of thought you'd be able to get him at least at 22 if not at 29 but right. you want to get up you want to trade up to 19 to get him that's fine let's do it that's back in the first that, round for David Roddy right that's fine that's <laughs> did you see the reaction video from David Roddy no it's fantastic you have to look it up but it is he seems know, like j- a cool just guy. the raw emotion yeah. of, and he, you know he's not in the green room he's not there yeah. at the Barclays Center he's Somewhere, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people who are only there to, to root for him. So very, those are those are the coolest videos uh, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I think you're, and, and maybe it was just the draft class, but there are a lot of guys at the top of the draft that there weren't guys sneaking into the, the very tippity top of this draft that it's like, ah, oh, that guy, you're really drafting his potential. Like there are some, I think to a certain extent when you're talking about like the Ignite guys like Shaden Sharp. Um, you know, specifically Dyson Daniels and Shane Sharp, two of the guys to go in, in the top 10 of the draft that didn't play college basketball. Mm-hmm. Apart from though, but like if that's what we're talking about in terms of potential at the top of the draft, then it's a pretty proven core of guys. And you had, you know, multiple, you know, you know the sophomore slump in terms of you know, the college guys was not not a thing. I mean, right, you had your 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 one and dones at the top of the draft, but you had your Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, and Johnny Davis, who all as freshmen were not going to be lottery picks. Mm-hmm. And then after insane sophomore years, kind of with the ball in their hands more, they um, they slip into the lottery and very very quickly in the college basketball season, like yeah, that guy's probably a lottery pick. Yeah, three of the best five players in the Big Ten, maybe three of the four. Yeah, yeah, think that's fair. But um, but let's uh, I mean, top of the draft, best place to start. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start in general. The first five picks were the first five guys that we expected to come off the board. Yep. The reports, the conversation leading up to the draft painted a different picture. Um, but the five guys that were picked that came off the board first were the guys we were expecting to come off the board first. It ended up going in the order that follows Paolo Bancaro. For a, for a while, it was okay. Jabari Smith, even like up until the until draft day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Woj was reporting, yeah, yeah. The, the top three is locked in, and Jabari Smith's going to go one, right. Chet Holmgren's going to go two, and Powell's going to go three. Yeah. And it's interesting because it was clear, and the Thunder made it clear last night, that Chet was their guy. Yep. So it didn't matter who went one. As long as it wasn't Chet, they were going to pick Chet at two. So instead of it being uh, Jabari, Chet, Paolo, which it seemed to be the way it was going to go, then, and it's interesting, you look at, and I heard about this some on Thursday, like the, the sports books... For as much as people thought Jabari was going to go one, the sports books never really mirrored that. It looked much more, much closer, and much less of a foregone mm-hmm. conclusion. Um, but really, right before the draft, you know, there was Woj, there was Shams reporting of. It looks like Paolo is going to be the guy at number one, and then the, the I don't know if it was before or after, but the the books also went in that it was right. everything was going right momentum and, towards Paolo, and, and then yeah. by the time the first pick was made, you know, around eight fifteen or whatever. 
Um, everybody, it was pretty clear it was going to be Paolo. That's who it ends up being for Orlando. Chet goes to Oklahoma City, which you know proves, as I just said, that that Oklahoma, the, the Thunder had their guy. It didn't matter what was going to happen there. So instead of Jabari going one, which is what the conversation we thought we were going to have for the last you know couple weeks, he goes three because the Thunder got the guy that they wanted it to. Anyways, um, what say you about the top three picks? I, I mean, of course, at this point. Anybody who's like, ah, I don't really love the fit of, you know, I wish that, you know, Orlando would have gotten the shooting of Jabari Parker. I don't care about fit at the top of the draft. Draft the guy that you think is the best mm-hmm. player. If the Orlando Magic came to that conclusion, then I'm all for it. But uh, what do you think about how it shaped And it, it's kind of weird because they're basically going to all play the same position. Mm-hmm. Now, they're very different players. That's a good point. I never, I never really thought about I mean, that, but, it, but you're right. Right. If there's one concern or criticism about Chad. It is not physically that he can... It's not a concern about him physically being able to handle the NBA. Mm-hmm. It's about him being able to guard DeAndre Ayton. Right. Or insert other ginormous human being who plays center. Right. That's the concern. If you have somebody else to do that, it makes more sense to play him at the four. Mm-hmm. Which is where Paul is going to play and it's where Jabari Smith is going to play. So... It's kind of strange because usually it's sort of a guard wing big or something like that that you're trying to pick between. Right. Jay Bill has said it, and I completely agree. You've got three number one picks. You just choose which one you feel like either you're the highest on, you have the most confidence in their ceiling, you have the most confidence in their floor, or they have that one thing that stands out that appeals to you most. Right. And it seems Orlando decided the offensive polish of Apollo is what we want. I, I have absolutely no issue with it. I don't think they made a mistake they could have picked any three of them, and I would have been saying the exact same thing. But from a fit perspective, if I'm ranking them, Paulo is one for me because okay. he can play the three. Mm-hmm. And to me, he gives you something a little bit different. He's more perimeter-oriented than either Chet or Jabari. And so you get some playmaking, and I think he he can sort of integrate himself a little bit easier with all of these other pieces the Magic have. Mm-hmm. Not that any of them would be an issue, and I'm, I'm with you, that we're not talking about fit. But when you have three guys and you feel really good about all of them, and depending on the team, probably all three of them would have been taken first overall by somebody. Agreed. you got to find some way to differentiate between them. And so if I'm pulling teeth and sort of really nitpicking this, to me, Paulo makes the most sense for Orlando. You know, I think, like you said, top three guys in different drafts, they all go number one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think all three of those teams are kind of in a spot now. And, and Houston may be a, a little bit further behind. But the conversation I kept having, you know, Oklahoma City killing the draft. And even you said something on Twitter about it. Um, and then my, my kind of response is Orlando now. I mean, Orlando, when you look at their starting lineup, their, their starting lineup looks something like this. Um, Cole Anthony, uh, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, and Mo Bamba and potentially Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr. Yeah, you know, that's that's a roster that I need immediately to start looking like it's going to win some basketball games. It doesn't have to. I'm not saying they have to go 50 and 32 this year. I'm not saying they have to go over 500 this year. But them and Oklahoma City Thunder at some point, you know, we talk about you know they come into a place with no pressure, and for the most part, those three teams have very little pressure. Nobody's expecting them to win immediately, but at some point. Orlando's kind of been up there in that area for, you know, half yep. a decade now. And gives up whenever they get close. Right. Maybe not give up, but 
Right. It, but they never feel like they're actually on a trajectory towards becoming a true contender. Right. Yeah. Evan Fournier and, and Nikola Vucevic only get you so far. Right. And then you trade them and you try again. Right. Yeah. Um, and just kind of looking and searching for the Dwight Howard, Richard Lewis, Jameer Nelson, uh, you know, Turkoglu team to get you, uh, to, you know, kind of over the hump. But the point being is that I, I, I and, and maybe not Houston, maybe I'm talking more Orlando and Oklahoma City. But as much as Oklahoma City and Sam Presti have been praised for their ability to turn guys that they don't really want anymore into draft capital, I mean, you can really go all the way back to like turning Russell Westbrook into all of this. Like, that's, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? You, or the, even starting with the Paul, I mean, Paul George to a certain extent. Yeah. Sure. Just, right. Yeah. Okay. It is. It's impressive what they've done. At some point, you got to start winning basketball games because at this point, now you have a guy that, when you talk about who are some of the best players, than young players in the NBA, SGA is always in that conversation. Yep. Josh Giddy quickly last year established himself as a guy at least worthy, if nothing else, of being in that conversation. And now you add a guy like Chet, and like at some point, you have to turn it into some sort of product on the floor. And the other part of this that I just hope is a thing is that at some point, you got to stop tanking. And I really hope that this is kind of the year because maybe maybe they have they really do have that in place, and now the shift next year okay okay let's win some freaking basketball games at some point let's win some basketball games um, and so we kind of start to see them turn that page. But uh, as far as the top three guys go, I wasn't going to fault anybody. Whoever you know ended up getting you know who it was at three, somebody was going to end up with the quote unquote last guy remaining. Um, Jabari Smith being the last guy remaining is not. A he did not look pleased about it. No, he did not. He was not. He, he did not look happy about it. But um, but certainly it was kind of you know I'm sure inside internally those front offices there's a best case scenario and a worst case scenario I suppose. Um, but it feels like two of the three teams got their best case scenario, and that's kind of the mercy you're at at number three. Um, if you're picking third, but I think I, I would like to see those teams use this, um, at least if it looks like those guys are going to pan out into actually you know playing some basketball games with the intent of winning, not just getting a high draft pick. And uh, and I don't know if that translates into more pressure or not, but. Um, but I do find that interesting because those are some teams that have kind of been running on the wheel with draft capital for a while now. And uh, when you all get a guy that could have been the number one overall pick, in theory, you guys are all in a pretty good situation. And you can argue all three teams got what they wanted because Jabari Smith was the projected number one overall pick for a long right. time. Right. And Houston got him at three. Who knows exactly how they would have wanted that to, to pan out if they could have picked how those three pieces fell. But yeah, absolutely. And to me, the thing with the Thunder is, and I, I texted you this, I just love getting excited about the future mm-hmm. and the idea of these players playing together, but now you have three pieces that fit very well together. You have a guard, a wing, and a big, mm-hmm. all of which are interchangeable, can do multiple things, you know, a variety of skill sets, versatile, can guard multiple positions, all of that good stuff. And you've got a playmaker, you've got a primary ball handler, and you've got whatever you want to describe Chet as. Mm. This thing we haven't seen. <laughs> right. They complement each other so well. And, of course, you've got all of these other picks coming down the pipeline. But is, is this where I get to go on my Thunder tangent for a second? Yeah. Go ahead. So, second, to your point about trying to win, you're not going to be able to roster all of these picks that you have. Mm. So they did start spending some of them to go get Usman Jang, at which point I freaked out. 
because I thought they had traded 12. But no, they just traded extra future picks to go get 11 and kept 12. Uh-huh. And 12, they took Jalen Williams. Didn't think he was going to go that high, mm-hmm. but you started hearing back into the lottery. I'm telling you, that guy's going to be a stud. <laughs> to, to, come away, <laughs> to come away with those two pieces and one of the more intriguing prospects in the draft in Jang, mm-hmm. again, who knows what he actually turns into. It's going to take time, but you're the Oklahoma City Thunder. You have time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want it right there mm-hmm. to me. That, end of story. And then you still also have the opportunity. Look, I didn't like the Peyton Watson pick. We can get into this more later. I have no questions. But again, if somebody's going to take a swing, it should be the Thunder. And then you got Jalen Williams, number two, mm-hmm. who I'm a huge fan of. He's going to be a specialty guy. His upside is not all that high. But that dude just plays really hard and is a menace. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to instill a winning culture and turn this from a project to a success story and a competitive team, you need guys like that. So, Which is the biggest hurdle that the Thunder have to overcome yeah. in the next 36 or so months. Right. Is since Durant left... This is a this is not a winning culture. No. This is especially this is, you had the Chris Paul year. Right. Where Chris Paul brought that. Right, okay. But outside sorry. of with all sorry. Yes. To be fair to Chris Paul, yes. Yeah, but that was exclusively Chris Paul. Right. That is <laughs> that is a direct byproduct yes. of Chris Paul being on your basketball team. I mean, literally your GM is known for how good he is at getting a bunch of picks high in the draft. Right. Not building a he's not Bob Myers. He's not, you know he's not, you know, right, not a GM, but he's not Popovich, who's just responsible for you know two plus decades of Spurs relevancy, Bob Myers somehow you know, and we can talk about the war what the Warriors did, but like somehow the Warriors always seem to be in the mix when they're not hurt, and then like when they draft a person, they're like, oh yeah, I kind of like that, and they've turned themselves. Their culture is so much winning that when they draft a guy like Pat Baldwin Jr., it's like, oh, what a great place for Pat Baldwin Jr. to <laughs> There's go. not a better spot for right. him to land in the NBA. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's that's a testament to them. So when it comes to the Thunder, when you have that many draft picks, you're going to hit enough times to have enough talent. It's more than likely going to happen. Or at least hit enough times to put yourself in a position to then trade up the rest of them to go and get one more guy that you know is proven. But winning is not something that happens overnight, even yep. if you have a team that is capable of winning. Correct. We can spend an entire podcast talking about the teams in the NBA yeah. who have tried to manifest a culture of winning by going and getting guys that are really good. Yeah. And as we see over and over and over again, unless, you're, unless your team has a guy named LeBron James on his team, on your team, uh, it doesn't really, it's not really that no. simple. And it even took the Warriors a while if you want to talk about right. building through the draft. I mean, that's the best comparison to what the Thunder are trying to do. Right. The Thunder are even a more extreme version of it. And, of course, the Warriors didn't sort of tank excessively to get these picks. Right. But right, the team wasn't a championship team overnight. No. It took a little while. And then all of a sudden they figured it out, and they haven't really stopped winning since. And with all the super team talk, the only super teams that have worked are teams that involve LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And LeBron James is a culture in and of himself. Yep. And that's, you know, everywhere else it's, it's Giannis and the Bucks. It's Toronto that was knocking on the door forever, and then they get a superstar in Kawhi in the right year, and they break through finally. Um, it's the Warriors over and over and over again. It's the Spurs. Um, even the Heat, initially, you know, they were so freaking good that it didn't matter uh, eventually. But even at the beginning, it was like, yeah, that was kind of tougher once they all, once, you know, Bosch, Wade, and LeBron yep. all got there. It was tougher than we they thought it was going to be. They were bad at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... 
all that to say, right, and it's not like the Thunder are going to be contending for championships anytime soon. Um, at least that would be unexpected if in the next you know couple of years it's like, yeah, that team is really good, not going to be fun to play in the in the West. But look made... what John did. Shouts to John. Okay, can we talk about let's that's a fantastic transition. Um four and five. Keegan Murray at four. Yeah. Jaden uh Jay Ivey at five. Um when you look back on it, Jaden Ivey worked out for two teams. He worked out for the Orlando Magic at one and the Detroit Pistons at five. Yeah. He I'm... made it pretty clear that he didn't want to go to Sacramento. And Good for him. And somehow and I don't know if the Kings were if it was like, yeah, you know what, we just kind of talked ourselves into Keegan Murray. Or if it's oh, okay, we only talked ourselves. We we found a way to talk ourselves into Keegan Murray because we knew Jay Ivey didn't want to be here. Who knows what actually the motivation behind the Keegan Murray pick is when you talk about the roster makeup in Sacramento with what they already have in the backcourt. Um, they needed a wing yep. to go with the De'Aaron Fox, Demontis Sabonis, Davion Mitchell kind of thing they got going on there. Uh, Rashawn Holmes. Um, they needed somebody to kind of sit in the middle and in between those two. And Keegan Murray's going to get it done on both ends of the floor. I have no doubt about that. Maybe when it comes to ceiling, that Keegan Murray in the top five is pretty, by by a decent margin, the fifth guy in terms of the highest ceiling out of the top five guys picked. Um, but in terms of a guy that I feel really confident in being able to do what he's going to be asked to do in the NBA, Keegan Murray I'm pretty confident in. Um, so who knows what actually happened there. Um, but instead of it going for Jaden Ivey, five Keegan Murray, we got the inverse uh, and Ivey. Uh, all of a sudden, one of my favorite backcourts in the in the NBA because we talked about this. Yep. Jaden Ivey did not need any making teammates better responsibility. Kate Cunningham's going to take care of all of that. Just kind of let him do his thing athletically. Um, and when you look at it, break it down. Uh, I kind of like the way it, it ended up for both of those teams. I don't know if it was just because of the Ivy family's ties to Detroit that he tried to get himself out of going to Sacramento, or if he just had the awareness to understand that was not a good place for me to right. develop. It's hard to it's hard to give any flack to Jay and Ivy for not wanting to yeah, go to Sacramento. I, absolutely. Not that I was trying to. Yeah, but. no, no. no. Just, I, I don't know what it was, but if he actually said, I, I, I don't think this is where I should be, got to give him props for that. Whether right. You feel it's actually right or wrong for a player to behave that way. That says something about him if he's able to sort of figure that out beforehand. Right. And I liked the, and this is where we can get into the how logical these picks were. Because I like what the Kings did outside of the fact that Jaden Ivey also liked what the Kings did. Uh-huh. Because I don't want another ball handler that I don't know what he does off the ball, but he's not actually a point guard when you just drafted. Doesn't especially make his teammates better. Right. I don't know exactly what he is when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Right. So go give me the accomplished three-level scorer who also plays defense because this team doesn't have, at least in the pieces you would expect to be part of any kind of successful Kings teams moving forward, Mm -hmm. they don't have that pure scorer, right? It's the speed and athleticism of Fox. It's the overall playmaking and skill set Sabonis brings. That was hard to say. <laughs> right, he's certainly a capable scorer. He's going to give you 18 a night. Mm-hmm. But what makes him special is that it's 18, 8, and 6. Right. right. You don't have the guy who's just going to sit there on the three-point line or who's going to be able to attack closeouts and just score. That's what Keegan Murray does. Right. So I love that fit. And we've talked about the Ivy to Detroit thing. To me, that was the best place, the only place I would feel somewhat confident it's actually he's going to reach his potential. Mm-hmm. And then you keep going down the list. 
you would have to think the Pacers would have taken him at six if he was there. But you get another uber-athletic shooter in Benedict Matherin. And then the Blazers. I tweeted this. I've said this before. If Shane Sharp is there, you have to take him. You have to. That is your best hope of keeping Damian Lillard around for the rest of his career. You have to go for the home run. Whether that's a... And if it doesn't work, you get to pick first again. Right. (laughs) And whether that's a Damian Lillard thing or a we're moving on from Damian Lillard thing. Right. Regardless, you need a franchise cornerstone. Right. Shane Sharp can be that guy. To me, Keegan Murray can't. Ivy potentially could. So you're looking at four. Mm -hmm. And to me, if you're sort of going down that power ranking of franchise cornerstone guys... Sharp is probably five for me. So they did that. You know, New Orleans picks up a defensive-minded facilitating point guard. Well, isn't that perfect considering their roster? Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny Davis at did, 10. Did you see, uh, so, you know, right, Bobby Marks on the lower third has team needs. Did, yeah. did you see what one of New Orleans' team needs were? A healthy, healthy Zion Williamson. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I was, yes, that's exactly what they need. Right. When you look at their roster, you have, right, and, and to your point, a guy who's going to defend the best guard on the floor. And he's big. And he's huge. Yeah. Um, best guard on the floor, um, can facilitate, kind of really work nicely next to CJ McCollum in the backcourt. Um, and then when you look at the rest of that roster, in theory, the rest of that roster, if you want to go small, it's... Or if you want to go bigger, it's probably a Brandon Ingram, um, Zion mm. Williamson when he's healthy, and then Valanciunas. Yeah. Or if you're going small, you've got a uber-athletic, uber-switchable defense with Dyson Daniels at the front of it, and then Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson yeah. on the back end of it. And maybe that's a little undersized, but the point being is that when you kind of plug that hole that the, that the Pelicans were trying to fill— and it, with a guy, too, that really shot up draft boards in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks before the draft, then you really start to see what a team like that could could look like, especially a team that just took the Suns, gave the Suns much more trouble than we thought they were going to give the Suns in the Western Conference playoffs. Yeah. Um, absolutely like what they did really quick before we get to like the Johnny Davises of the world and kind of that. Um, can we can we stop the John Morant and Jaden Ivey comparisons, please? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I challenge you to give me a third prong past their hair and their athleticism that they are similar players. Similar players. Because to me, my third prong would be the fact that Neil Ivey obviously coached John Murray at the beginning of his NBA career. Okay, that's fine. I mean, if I'm going for an NBA comparison, that's the first name that came to mind for me too. Do you have a better... I guess, let me flip this to you. Do you have a better comp- NBA comparison for Jay Knight? No, I'm not interested in making a better one, I but I am also interested in not making an accurate one. Yes. And I... And I... In what way, shape, or form has Jay Nivey ever shown that he makes his teammates better? Right. And that is... The and difference. that is literally all that John Marine yes. does. That on is, top of being the most athletic, exciting player, maybe yeah. in the NBA right now. Now, where they are extremely similar is, right, it's a downhill... Yes. Attack the basket, uber athleticism, yeah. blow by you game. There is two, but I, I I was frustrated by the lack of that differentiation. Sure, because it, it was you know shades uh it, like there are plenty of guys that are uber athletic in the NBA. Like I and this is just me being a Memphis guy, and I will wholeheartedly admit that. But to suggest that to an NBA team the value that Jaden Ivey is going to bring off the bat is the same value that John Moran is going to bring is ludicrous. And that, right, that is the big difference and that's where you and I, I think, are... And there was too much of, yeah, he's a John Morant type player. 
he is like like he's like he's half percent of John. He's right. halfway yeah. there. No, absolutely. So right, and that's the question: is you look at him and you say, "I can see how this guy becomes a superstar." And but if he, there is a huge gap and something he needs to prove, which is right. John Morant is a walking triple-double almost. Mm-hmm. It, it was, well, at least, it, let me rephrase that. In college, mm-hmm. he was basically a walking triple-double. Right. Jay Navi was nowhere near that. He right. averaged, what, three and a half assists, something like that? Right. That is the difference. Right. right. Jay Navi was never facilitating and creating an entire offense and orchestrating an entire offense the way John Morant does. Which is why Detroit is fine. Yes. Because they have their walking triple-double guy yes. in Kate Cunningham. Right. right. That is why it is perfect. And and I don't need Jaden Ivey to become John Morant. That's right. not what this is about. Right. This is just about, like, when we look, like, John Morant is a superstar because of what he does with the ball in his hands and what he does for his teammates. Jaden Ivey could become a star, but I will believe when I see it, if him being a star, that a lot of that is making his teammates better because I think that's what Kate is there for. Yep. I think that why that's why the backcourt in Detroit makes so much sense with those two guys back there. I just needed to get that off of my chest. If I were to throw in a second sort of he's a mix of these two players, mm-hmm. I almost feel like it's John Morant and Jalen Green. Right? Okay. There was a there was a Troy Weaver was very, very interested in Jalen Green last year too. Mm-hmm. He got something similar. That score first Uber athletic guard. Mm-hmm playmaker kind of guy mm-hmm. but not a a orchestrator of an offense that's right that's what i'm right there with you i just that was the first thing that came to mind if you're asking me who does he remind me of right and and that's that's totally fair yeah from, no, from the connections I'm, to to the way he just looks the way athletically play. on the yeah. floor yeah yeah but somehow jaw finds a way to just make all of his teammates sure. better um and watching him be a part of draft night like he was the one who called kennedy chandler that that's all of those things are cool. I just I can't get enough of the Memphis Grizzlies, um, but but right okay. So like you mentioned, Benedict Thurman goes uh, six to the Pacers. We're here in Indianapolis. People seem to be really really happy about that. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to give Kevin Pritchard a ton of credit for taking the sixth best guy in the draft with the sixth overall pick, who may not even be the sixth best guy in the draft. I mean who I mean, it was certainly a justifiable pick. I have no issue with it. I'm just not enamored with him. That's fine. I mean, with all due respect, when was what's the last number six pick that right. you're enamored with? Right. No, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, it really didn't like. I didn't want them to bring Dyson Daniels in. I was a little worried about that. From a like, what is he going to do next to Tyrese Halliburton yep. if he's not like? That's kind we'll of we'll get to that later. Right. <laughs> so as long as you you found a backcourt guy to pair with Tyrese Halliburton that made sense, I thought that was. Going to be a pick that made sense. That's yeah. why I would have been fine with Shaden Sharp. And someone someone tweeted um, yesterday uh, today on Twitter. Someone you know personality here in Indianapolis basically said you know not word for word, but you just turned a Karis Levert and Malcolm Brogdon backcourt into a Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin backcourt. That's what a rebuild looks like. And and to the credit of the Pacers, who clearly did, needed to do some sort of turn, you know. Pivoting, even if it's not a complete 180 rebuild, because I don't think people here would, yeah, would nope. would stand for a 180 like Oklahoma City yeah. Thunder tank yeah. type rebuild. No, this is a retool. Um, but to retool that quickly in you know six months, going and get Tyrese Halliburton, um, and then drafting a guy like Matherin in in the first round, a good step for the Pacers. Um, they get the him at six. Um, then you go to seven with the Portland Trailblazers. We talked about that home run swing, Shaden Sharp. If he plays at Kentucky, like, you know, that's one of those guys that, you know, kind of the A.J. Griffin thing. 
Um, if AJ Griffin's one year of college goes slightly different from a health perspective, of course, for Shaden Sharp, it's a availability availability perspective. perspective. We can have a conversation <laughs> about why. Like I heard some interesting things about like is the guy was the guy scared to have his draft stock right. fall? Like we can have that conversation if you'd like. But n- nonetheless, ben, uh, Shaden Sharp at seven. Then we're moving down to eight. The Pelicans get Dyson Daniels in the top ten. The Spurs, Jeremy yes, Sohan, yes, yes, um, yes, very yes. much a, a Spurs guy. Yep. Um, and he's bigger than all of the other six, four, three, and D guys they have. Six, yes. five, six, six. Yes. He gives you a a power forward piece to play in there, where you can put a Jakob Portal or whatever kind of center next to him, mm-hmm. and all of these three and D taller guards. And he can play power forward. He can guard on the perimeter. He he might be the most capable player in this draft, regarding one through five. Probably one of them, yeah. He, I'm a huge fan of, don't ask him to do too much, but when you need somebody like that, he's going to be fantastic for him. Really like that pick. You know who the most underrated player in the NBA is? Underrated? Just in general. DeJounte Murray? Yeah. Do you do you want, do you you want know what DeJounte, DeJounte Murray averaged this year? It's got to be something like 21. Okay, 21. Give me the rest of it. Because the rest of it is like... Six and five? 21, eight, and nine. Oh, my. Yeah, I didn't think it was that high. 21, 8, and 9. And, and the point being is that, you know, right, they've got a lot of guys there. We can have a conversation about, like, what's the – what is the blueprint? Like, what kind of basketball team are you trying to build? Right. But at the at the very least, you had a guy that was a borderline – like, and maybe this is just me. You know, I didn't have the most active NBA watching season that I've ever had. Um, much more, you know, as we, you know, kind of pivoted this podcast to more college basketball, there was more – um, focus on that then you know if I had the time to do it it was college basketball not NBA but the point being is that that guy almost averaged a triple double like like really close and um, when you have a, a, a culture like that um, and you just keep bringing in guys that you feel like are going to be NBA dudes that um, that you keep moving in the right direction and I mean we're talking about a team that was supposed to be out of it yep and they always kind of, find a way to and hang made, in there. And made moves at the trade deadline like they thought they were out of it, like getting rid of Derek White, uh, sending him to Boston. Yeah. And then they were right there, yeah. um, you know, in the play-in, competitive for the play-in. Um, it's just kind of waiting for – at some point, the Spurs were just going to look up and the Spurs are going to be unexpectedly like – even if it's, you know, nothing blow your socks off, they're yeah. going to be like – 15 and 7 through 22 games and you're gonna be like oh here i mean here they are at some point they were going to figure it out yeah and um and this was you know this is when when they actually did so at some point that's going to happen and uh sohan i mean it's it's there's i've i've got questions about right being able to guard one through five is a perfect is, is a plenty good place to start um but as a guy who religiously watched tony allen for years um, the offensive yep. development is a important part yep. of him. Now, being I would able argue to... he's already a better shooter than Tony oh, Allen. Oh, and that yeah. was that was a principle of the thing, yeah, not yeah, actually yeah, comparing yeah, yeah. the right. two. His ceiling is limited unless the offense really develops, right. um, because that is that is equally as important in a playoff series in the yeah. half court. You want a guy who can guard one through five, but you need that guy to also like have the guy that's guarding him respect him in the corner yes. if nothing else. And, I mean, the one good thing is he's not going to get played off the floor in the sense of he's seven feet tall. Right, exactly. He plays bigger than he is because of his athleticism, his strength, his physical build. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny Davis at 10. I think you had him picked in our mock draft at 10. Did I? I think so. I think you had the Wizards taking him. 
It's the most Wizards pick of all time. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not too much to say there. Then the two Oklahoma City picks, mm-hmm. which then goes to Jalen Duren, and we don't have to sort of go through pick by pick at this point. But mm-hmm. this was the other interesting one is sort of the overall what the Pistons did. Mm-hmm. I really like Ivy in that situation. That makes all the sense in the world to me. And I like Duren too. My question is. Does this have any impact on their pursuit of DeAndre Ayton? Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to go throw the max or something close to it at DeAndre Ayton in an attempt to somehow convince the Suns not to match an offer sheet or to get him in a sign-in trade, mm-hmm. you just went back into the first round to get a backup? Because those two guys can't play on the floor together. No. And they're both limited. As good as Aiden is. Now, he is way more capable of staying on the floor in a playoff series than most guys. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have players like Kate Cunningham and Sadiq Bey who can guard anybody on the floor. Right. That's my only question. On the flip side, though, and where I'll defend the Pistons is, there is no guarantee DeAndre Aiden is going to be a Piston next year. So now, all of a sudden, if it doesn't happen for whatever reason, you have... A guy who does many of the same things. I, he's not going to be DeAndre, and he's not quite that dominant. But from a physical standpoint, he's pretty close, mm-hmm. right? We don't see DeAndre Aiden very often. I feel like Jalen Duren has some of that in him. Mm-hmm. So I do like that aspect of it as well. And I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the Pistons. No, I like Duren. Um, I. That's that's the extent of it. I like Duren. Uh, I think he's. I think going to Detroit will give him a chance to. And I, as I said with Duren in one of our pre-draft pods, don't ask him to be yep. something he's not. Um, I don't think Detroit was going to ask him to be something no. he's not no. um, because they have guys to do all of those other things. But with that being said, I think that from what you saw at Memphis, right, he's got the intangibles and the tangibles of being a great defender in the NBA. And you know, has decent touch around the rim. I think there's at least some room for expansion of his offensive game. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you're in, you know, an offense that you kind of get to play off guys like Cunningham and, in theory, Ivy and uh, working in a pick and roll, that kind of thing. Being in the dunker spot is, uh, I think all of those things he'll, he'll be able to handle. So I've, in general, the, what the Pistons did, um, starting with Ivy, um, that's yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. When you look at the guys that went right after him, um, it's not like there was a guy left there that I was like, man, I think you guys kind of missed. Yeah. Um, and my original thought when the Hornets picked him was, oh, they just upgraded themselves because yeah. it was going to be Mark Williams and they got Jalen Dern instead. Right. And then you go, oh no, no, they did the smart thing. Look right. at the Hornets. Yeah. Have a pick they don't need because they know the Cavaliers behind them are not about to pick a center. Right. With all of the big dudes they have, mm-hmm. so they went, okay, we're going to trade this thing because we're still going to get Mark Williams. Yeah. And then they got Mark Williams. Yeah. That's all they needed. Yeah. So that worked really well for them. We'll we'll talk about them more in a little bit because I really like what they did overall. Mm-hmm. And you know, Ochai so Ochai Abadi rounds out the. The lottery. I think I picked him here mm-hmm. in our mock draft. Of this is a team trying to sort of get to that next level, win a playoff series, become one of the top four or five teams in the East. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy you can plug in and play right away. Right, catch and shoot, three and D kind of guy. No issues with that. Can I can I do my other rant about what happened at the end of the the first round now? Yeah. Real quick on Abaji, like a like a truly like like a really elite shooter. I think. 
Yes. I, I don't think he quite gets yep. the credit for how good of a shooter yeah. he is. And because the, the, the whole attacking the basket thing wasn't there until last season. Right. And, and, and <laughs> right, that's the idea of he went and became more of a well-rounded player, so it's not quite as much of he's a really good shooter. Yeah. That's that's a testament to Igbaji. Right, right. But I think he's a better shooter. Like, and his shooting was part of... Right, that's part of the reason he was drafted in the lottery. Um, but it's a testament to him that he's as good of a shooter as he is. And I think that's almost flown under the radar a little mm, bit for sure. Um, to the extent yeah. um, that it was talked about. He was up there near AJ Griffin level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and fills a spot nicely in the, in what the Cavs need from you, know, right? Because you were hoping when you drafted, Oh, help me. Isaac Okoro. Yes. Isaac Okoro. Um, that he was going to kind of, he was a defensive guy that was going to yeah. cl- create a shot. And that he was gonna going to kind of grow into a three right. point shot, and yeah. there's been nothing yeah. of the sort. And that's that's my thing with both him and Patrick Williams is, I need to see something on offense. Right. That's why I was so sold on Scotty Barnes is because you saw what Scotty Barnes could do on offense, and you see the same thing with the Bocce, which is mm-hmm. why I like this pick. Mm-hmm. If right, he's not going to be a twenty game against you know twenty point a game scorer, probably not. But you know that dude's going to knock down threes, and if teams start running out and really starting to attack aggressively with closeouts. He's more than capable of getting to the rim. Yeah. You see the offensive game where he is going to be a viable threat teams have to pay attention to. And then you get everything else that comes with him that sort of made him the player he was before he took this jump last season. Without a doubt. All right, give me the back end of the first round. So we're, we're going along, and there's you know so many logical picks here. It's just making sense. Finally, somebody decides AJ Griff, drafting A.J. Griffin's oh, real, a good idea. Real quick. No, sorry, go ahead. You haven't, you haven't gotten to 19 yet. Just pause for a second on 19. Okay. Why A.J. Griffin fell to 16 is beyond me. I'm sure it had something to do with the injuries. Atlanta got a steal. Yes, I know he's not exactly what you want. He's not an elite defender. I don't care. That man's going to make Trey, Trey Young's life easier, and that's all that matters. Okay, 19. 19. Shouts to Jake Laravia. Yeah. Shouts to and 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 like I said, um, was I expecting the like like I saw mock drafts with Laravia going twenty nine to the Grizzlies. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was pushing maybe the very end of the first round. Right. Like there were like the star, the indie star, the local uh, Gannett paper here in Indianapolis was writing stories basically to the effect of Laravia uh, perhaps uh, sneaking in the back end of the first round. And all I'll say about the uh, about the Grizzlies trading up to 19 to once again for the second straight year get a guy that they probably could have gotten in their original position um, is I, I find like Kleinman Zach Kleinman who makes all of the draft decisions in the, the Grizzlies front office has more than more than accrued the benefit of the yep. doubt um, when it comes to and and I find it hard to believe that if he thought he could have gotten him at 22. That he would have traded up to right. nineteen to get him, right? If he and maybe it's just a a gut feeling thing. Maybe he's got like a okay. If there's even like a fifty percent chance yep. we don't get him at twenty two, I'm trading up to get yep. him at nineteen. Yep. And um, we'll see how he fits in. Of course, a guy that can shoot it is always going to be nice for the Grizzlies to have come off their bench. Um, so it was. I think you know I had several people text me right as it was happening. Reach, 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 and I was like. Okay, maybe, yeah, it might have been a reach, but 
uh, at the very least. Um, I, I love seeing, because then the Grizzlies traded back into the first round after giving up 29 to get David Roddy uh, shortly after. Um, I love seeing the Grizzlies be, um, you know, have some conviction about guys in the draft, mm-hmm. even like mid to late first round yep. where things start to fizzle out. And it's like, yeah, hey, cool, another guy drafted. Um, and to show conviction and to make moves um, up to, you know, because, right, um, I don't know if Zara Williams will become the half-court creator that we need him to be, but I don't know that he's not. Yeah. And and that's really all I was hoping to see from Zaire Williams this year because that's what the Grizzlies need more than anything else. And what we learned in the playoffs was I need somebody who can stretch the floor in the half-court and knock down shots and someone alongside Ja who can go and get his own shots. Um, so, you know, that's an aside ultimately. But um, shouts to the Grizzlies. Um it's going to be a while before I dog anything the Grizzlies do on draft night with how good they've been the last five sure. years or so. And if nothing else, there, are, there were two free agency concerns. Uh-huh. Two holes that would theoretically need to be filled. Now, yeah. maybe both of them end up not needing to be filled. Maybe both of them end up, maybe it's one or the other, but it's Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? You went and got yourself a... Fairly comparable replacement for Kyle Anderson. Of course, they're not the same player, but Jake LaRavia can absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. And then you went and got yourself a five-star recruit who is a phenomenal defender at the point guard position. He's just small in Kennedy Chandler. Right. I'm a huge Kennedy Chandler fan. Don't ask him to do anything too spectacular, but can he absolutely become the next point guard who goes and gets himself Jalen Brunson money as one of the top backup point guards in the league that all of a sudden someday just goes for 25 or 18 and 7? Yeah. 100%. Sure. So if nothing else, it was logical. And that's really all you can ask. And I'm right there with you. that With the amount of talent they have accrued in spots, you're not supposed to get that much talent in the draft. I am certainly not in any position to be questioning what the Grizzlies right. are doing right now. They have found a way to not only hit on the top of the draft, but to hit between 20 yeah. and 30 over and over and over right. again. So shouts to the Grizzlies. You may continue. So then, okay, Malachi Branham, that's also a steal for the Spurs. The Spurs had a good night. Uh, Christian Brown, that's the one first-round pick I have questions on. To me, that was just too high. I'm not really sure what, what Denver was doing there. I followed Denver's... Uh, he was the, the site host for SB Nation, and now he writes for uh, dnvr.com, which is, the I think, just kind of the Denver sports outlet. Mm-hmm. But he when I first followed him, he was just the site manager for the for uh, uh, the. The Denver Stiffs, something Stiffs. Uh, anyway, they're SB Nation, and now he's the lead uh, Nuggets analyst for DNVR.com. Super cool. Anyways, uh, his name's Ryan Blackburn, and he was going crazy on Twitter. He's like, oh, "Wait, really, Christian Brown?" And then at one point in the at the bot at the end of the second the first round, it was no way we're about to draft Peyton Watson. No way we're or like early in the I think it was whatever their early of the early in the second round pick was. Um, anyways, um, that one. I mean, I like Christian Brown. Yeah, I do too. Uh, but I didn't. And and maybe, right, when you look at the Denver roster. It's not a terrible fit. It's a, it's a good fit. I just, when you're that close and you're the Nuggets, mm-hmm. I would like to see you get a little more ambitious. That's how you got Michael Porter Jr. I mean, but then on the flip side, you think when we're healthy, we're so close. Right. I just want a guy to come in and... Play hard, shoot threes, yeah. and Christian Brown could do that. Yeah, but maybe, but but perhaps uh, a little uh, a little early. And maybe they just couldn't have traded 
back the way they wanted to. That and again, if we're talking about that is my biggest question mark in the first round, that's really saying something about how I feel about this draft. Right. Or at least up to that point. Okay. So now we're gonna skip ahead to twenty five if that's okay. Because I just want to make a point about what started happening here. So Blake Leslie goes to 25. I'm fine with this for the Spurs. Take a swing. He doesn't need to be anything special right away. Mm -hmm. It's not that I have an issue with that pick. But starting there, then you had Nikola Jovic, Pat Baldwin, and Peyton Watson go in the next five picks to close out the first round. Mm -hmm. And then Caleb Houston went 32 with... Here are all the players that were still on the board when Caleb Houston went. Mm -hmm. Christian Coloco, Jaden Hardy, Kennedy Chandler, Bryce McGowan, Ezio Adele, and Kendall Brown. To me, if you're going to go for a home run raw potential dude at that point, you're going for Kendall Brown. Who the Pacers ended up getting yes. at 48. Right. He, and we kind of predicted this beforehand, but he fell precipitously yeah. to the point. But that was, an, that was an excellent pick because... If that dude ever figures it out, he's going to be something fantastic. Right. Turned the 58th pick into the 48th pick and got a five-star yeah. recruit. Five-star, former five-star. Yeah. yeah. Why did we just all of a sudden freak out and start taking every single high-upside, high-risk player? Well, <laughs> let's try to break it down. Which I do, I absolutely love, in defense of Miami, mm -hmm. love the Jovic pick. That was perfect. I'm so here for Jovic. <laughs> I'm so that happy was of it. Really, it's not that I have it. And Pat Baldwin Jr. to the Warriors, we were talking about this. Makes all the sense in the world. It's not that these picks individually are illogical or don't make sense or I don't like them, mm -hmm. with the exception of the Peyton Watson pick. Mm -hmm. I just. Why did we all of a sudden decide these are players, you know, 25 through 30 on the big boards? Mm hmm. And everybody started freaking out because one got picked and we just took all of them. Right. Right? Some of these guys were supposed to go middle of the second round. Mm -hmm. And then at the expense of guys that were supposed to go much higher than right. where they ended up. Right. Which is what I want to talk about. I don't know if you have any more thoughts, but I want to talk about the second round. Let's move on. I love talking about second round picks. Yeah. I just have a couple I would like to highlight. So And also a couple teams. Mm -hmm. Pelicans. Bravo. Dyson Daniels and EJ Liddell. Phenomenal job. Yep. Phenomenal job. I'm surprised because like I, I, I think people and and maybe NBA teams really looked at what Grant Williams did in the playoffs and like realized that after the game seven in Milwaukee, they were like or against Milwaukee, it was like, wait, he didn't do a darn thing after that. Um, but in terms of a guy that like maybe a little undersized, but a guy you're never gonna have to worry about how he's playing, and a guy that hopefully is going to turn into a three-point shooter in the NBA because E.J. Liddell came back to Ohio State to do just that. Um, I thought E.J. Liddell would go a little bit higher than yeah, that. Yeah, he fell for reasons I will never understand. That's going to be one of the best picks of the draft. Warriors also getting Ryan Rollins in the second round mm -hmm. to go with Pat Baldwin. We've talked about this before. It just goes, oh, yeah, that makes all the sense in the right. world. If these guys ever figured, this next crop ever figured out, those guys are going to be competing for championships for the next decade. It's really kind of scary. And then Hornets, we talked about this a little bit, but very, very good process at the beginning to still end up with Mark Williams. And then you get Bryce McGowan, who I'm a huge fan of in the second round. Yep. Other second round picks. Perhaps my favorite pick of the entire draft, Christian Coloco to the Raptors. Love that. Is there a better fit? I don't think so. They were screaming. At least relative to the second round. Right. They were screaming for somebody tall. 
No. Somebody tall. No, they got some, something much more than somebody tall. They got the Uber Athletics shop locker mm-hmm. who fits perfectly with the roster they have constructed. He is a freak athlete. Every time I watch that Arizona team in general, and you know, Dale and Terry also had his stock rising good for him yeah. going 18 to the Bulls. And, you know, Mather and two, these guys are just terrifyingly athletic. Mm-hmm. And Coloco is part of that. You put him in there with all of those versatile dudes they have, that was just an absolute home run for me. I also, I think I'm in the minority here, love Max Christie to the Lakers. I just think Max Christie, picking a guy like Max Christie in the second round is never a bad idea. Yeah, and I will go back to this. I saw him shut down Johnny Davis. That is a thing that happened. And he is not viewed as an elite defender. Certainly he had some errors mm-hmm. and had a lot to learn and could have absolutely used a second year at Michigan State to really clean some things up. And he didn't shoot the ball anywhere near as well as he's capable of. Right. Which is why he ended I up... I was shocked when doing some draft prep that he was like only 35 or 6% from the three-point. It might have if been that, worse than it, that. I think it was more like it 33. Been, yeah. Yeah. I was not, shocked. Not atrocious, but not... I mean, average for college kind of thing. Right. And I, I did this moment of like, wait, am I gonna am I gonna call Max Christie like a, a good shooter? And I was like, wait, of course I'm gonna call Max Christie a good shooter. Of right. course. We were talking. He's just so smooth. We've talked about right. this before. We've seen him. I mean, so that guy, for a team that needs young players who can shoot and play off of all of these dominant ball handlers they mm-hmm. have, he's a perfect fit for them. Mm-hmm. And I very much believe in his upside. I believe he's going to figure it out. And he's going to be a good NBA player for a long time. And then the other two I had, Kennedy Chandler, we already kind of talked about this. Mm-hmm. I would have been more than comfortable drafting at the end of the first round. The Grizzlies got him middle of the second. Mm-hmm. And Kendall Brown slipping to 48 to go to the Pacers. Those were the, the second round picks that really stood out to me. Shouts to... I like Tyrus Barton of the Golden yep. State Warriors at 51. Um of course, all of this, relatively speaking, um, I, I and shouts to Hugo Benson, uh, Besson, who was at the draft and stayed. I like I, I you know what I, I want to believe that the Bucks picked Hugo Besson <laughs> because he was there. Because he was there, I want to believe that so that that guy didn't come all the way from France to go to the draft to not get picked. Maybe I'm being, maybe that's too much the for the doubt. But oh, uh, but I would but I would love for that to be the case. They're like, you know what, Hugo? Come on down. You're the next contestant. Or, or even more simplistic. I it's a drafting stash, fellas. Yeah. We're, we're picking some international player. Who we want? Yeah. Oh, who who goes here? Let's yeah. take him. Yeah. Let's take <laughs> him. So we don't have to pay for that guy to fly right. here to we'll see to us and him. send him He'll back. Have his <laughs> Shouts to Hugo. Hope Bay he song. has a great NBA career. Oh, I, I would love nothing more for, for Hugo to uh, CBS Sports give him an A minus for Hugo. How about that? I'm not sure you're allowed to give them anything else other than an A. You helped somebody's dream become a <laughs> right. become a reality. Bravo for the Bucks Bra- front office. Bravo. Um, but yeah, it, it, those are the kind of the guys you hit on were the guys I was looking at in the second round. Um, of course, you know, a thirty through forty are the guys that you're really looking at in terms of. Okay, those are guys that at yep. one point or another were talked about potential back end of the first round picks, um, so on and so forth. Um, I like for the Pacers conversation here. Yep, I was going to go back to this too. Um, yeah. Andrew Nimhard being drafted thirty first. Why? Why? Because Why? I think they they want 
I think here's 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 where I've landed on this. I think the Pacers really like what Malcolm Brogdon does on the basketball court when he's on the basketball court. Yeah. But he's never on the basketball court. Right. And I think Andrew Nimhart is the closest thing to yes. doing what Malcolm Brogdon did. Sure. Did you know that the capital of 65 guard the, the the capital of 65 guard universe is here in Indianapolis? All like all of their yeah. guards are 65. Yeah. All of them. Um I think that's kind of what we're getting at here. I mean Nimhart all things considered is a boring pick at 31. But if the intention, and everybody around here was hoping that Malcolm Brogdon wouldn't be a pacer by the end of the night. And once you got, I'm sure that they were trying to get somewhere in the like 11, 12 range, yeah. send him to New York, something, um, and it just didn't happen. I still don't think Malcolm Brogdon is a pacer when, you know, in October when the season starts. But what I've kind of come down on is, the thought process is we kind of we, we like we like what Malcolm Brogdon does on the floor, and I like what Malcolm Brogdon yep. does on the floor, but Malcolm Brogdon can't stay on the floor. And if you're looking for a guy who can kind of fill that role, like he's not right, he's not going to be completely that. And you can also have the conversation that you just have your backup point guard in TJ McConnell. So why do you need another guy like this? When you could go and try to get a guy, I mean, when you look right after anybody, him, anybody else that comes right after him. But if the goal was, we really like what Malcolm Brogdon does. We need to get rid of him and his money that and the money that we're paying him. We really, but we kind of like the place that he holds on the team from a from a from just a well roundedness of skills on our team perspective. Then Andrew Nimhart is probably the guy that you're like, okay, which guy in the draft here is yeah. going to most emulate that? Um, but if it was, if it wasn't that, maybe I'm getting the Pacers the benefit of the doubt here. If it wasn't that, then I'm not sure why we're not trying to go after somebody who probably who has a better chance of turning into a, more of a guy in the NBA. And this is not a, me questioning Nemhart because I am all for taking that guy and letting him find a place in the NBA. He's another one of those guys to me that can very easily carve out a nice career as a backup point guard. Agreed. Where I want to push back on what you just said is sort of twofold. One, Tyrese Halliburton does a lot of that stuff already. For the second unit? No, but you have a guy. Sure. And two, yes, in theory, Malcolm Brogdon is the... Or sorry, Andrew Nemhart's the closest thing in this draft to Malcolm Brogdon. Andrew Nemhart is nowhere near the defender Malcolm Brogdon is, and Andrew Nemhart is nowhere near the shooter Malcolm Brogdon is. That's my concern, is he is a specialist. Unless he becomes much better at shooting, he needs the ball in his hands. Which means Tyrese Halliburton, or you know, in theory, okay, he's the guy running the second unit. Mm-hmm. That could work. At the, the beginning of the second round, when you are the Pacers, to me, striving for let's find ourselves an improvement at backup point guard, who we know is going to be limited in what he does when we already have a more than capable backup point guard. With that being... This is just you being a TJ McConnell fan. This part of it. <laughs> okay, so... Um, so who, go, go swing for somebody, please. For who? I mean, I would have taken Max Christie. I will always see there's value in Christian Coloco, especially if you're going to trade Miles Turner. Now, if you're not going to trade Miles Turner, okay, that's a lot of big guys who block shots. Uh-huh. And... Christian Coloco does not have Miles Turner's offensive game. (laughs) Or even, and that's the place where I would have been okay taking a swing on somebody. You know, any of these guys who then started falling, 
would have loved to see EJ Waddell. Would have been okay taking Kendall Brown there. If you wanted the backup point guard, Kennedy Chandler gives you something different. Mm-hmm. I just the idea of having, and I mean, yeah, I guess you just keep Hal Burton and Nemhard separate. I just wanted to see a little more ambition because I just don't see Andrew Nemhard as a primary playmaker, a guy that carries the second unit. Would you agree with that? He may be the primary ball handler, but a guy who actually carries a unit the way, say, Jalen Brunson can. No, I also don't think it's fair to to compare any backup point guard in the NBA right, to Jalen Brunson right. at this point. But um, and my point is, Jalen Brunson was drafted later than Andrew Nemhard was. Sure. I just... When you are a team desperate in, in desperately in need of talent and trying to sort of raise the bar, mm-hmm. and you feel good about what you did earlier in this draft, and you they did end up taking the swing at Kendall Brown later, which I appreciate. I just there were so many players. I guess this is what it comes down to: is you had your pick because all of these guys started dropping mm-hmm. because we started going for all of these home runs. Now there were still a couple on the board you could have taken mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But right, all of these teams that could have taken the guys who were supposed to go at the end, even you know David Roddy opened up a spot because he wasn't supposed to go that high. Peyton Watson wasn't supposed to go in the first round. That's another spot. So you had your EJ Liddell's mm-hmm. and Kennedy Chandler's, and we can go down the list of all of these guys falling. And they took a guy that, to me, you could have gotten 10 to 15 picks later. I think, and as the guy who cuts up audio for literally every Pacers prospect and has heard what the front office has said about every pick that they've brought in. I think that perhaps outside of Matherin, in the context that Andrew Nimhart of the best workout that the Pacers brought in over the last month or so. And maybe it's as simple as that, um, because as, while I right while you should always have some hesitations about what you see in a 40-minute workout compared to what you've seen the guy do for years... Um, that's certainly a thing to take into consideration. Yeah. But maybe it says, maybe it just is, you know, the guys on our board, they're, you know, we're looking for very small things to, we weren't all that interested in draft. And maybe the, the Pacers didn't want to draft for potential there. Maybe they yeah. wanted a guy that they wanted to be productive. And it does give you two ball handlers you can separate if you trade Brogdon. Still. Right. Well, the three, if you throw McConnell in. Right. My, my thing is just he can't play off the ball. At least not yet. Yeah, and maybe he. And this is not an Andrew Nemhard thing. If he would have had a home, for example, if the Mavericks would have drafted him knowing they're losing Jalen Brunson, mm-hmm. would have loved it. Couldn't have said enough good things about that. You just keep him separate from Luca, and it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I just the Pacers didn't need that. There wasn't this glaring hole at backup point guard. Sure. And now you have two guys whose game is predicated on having the ball in their hands. So a best case scenario is he's your sixth man. My because only pushback playing with Halbert. My only pushback would be is that he looked pretty darn good next to Jalen Suggs and Gonzaga for a year. It's a fair point. Now, I'm not I'm not going to yeah, throw and, that at you tied you know tied right, to a and, brick. But and I would say it's a different world than the NBA. With and, and that yeah. is that is I wholeheartedly yeah. agree with that. But I but he did play next to a guy yeah. who needed the ball in his hands more than him, and it wasn't like. We didn't spend all that year thinking, man, I wish Nimhard could do more off the ball. Yeah. Now, they did stagger those minutes a lot. Sure. And he did come off the bench. Yeah. But 
if it means that they stagger the minutes with Halliburton a lot and he comes off the bench, then then maybe that's what they're looking for. Yeah. No, that, my question is just why do you have to teach Jerry McConnell like that? Teach McConnell's earned more respect. <laughs> that is the that is part of this. Sure. I just – that high in the draft with that many good players available, mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. Yeah, but it, again, if that's the – if these are the holes we're picking, I, there wasn't anything I was going – I don't know about that one. I don't like that. That's a disaster. All right, real quick. Um, I'm going to give you some of the... Uh, Steve Clifford, Charlotte Hornets coach. Yeah. There we go. Um, oh, he's back. He's back. <laughs> well, how about that? Um, here are some of the guys that have signed two-way contracts, yeah. summer league contracts, since uh, since the draft ended. Northern Iowa's A.J. Green, two-way contract with the Bucks. Oh, sorry. It was AJ Green, not Grayson Murray. Did I ah, say that at the beginning? Was yes, that on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Was on the po- Sorry, not. I Grayson also Murray. think I said the wrong team for where Kendall Brown ended up. So. My apologies, Grayson Murray. My apologies, AJ, AJ Green. AJ Green. Love that. Both of them uh, visited the Pacers and ah, draft prospect yes. workouts, so I apologize love, for that. Love that. But big fan of that. Uh, UNLV guard Bryce Hamilton, uh, summer league deal with the Heat. Uh, Georgia Tech guard Michael DeVoe with the Clippers. Um, Johnny Juzang, can we talk about this for a second? That Johnny Juzang yep. had to undrafted. sign a two, it was yep. went undrafted and is signing a two-way contract with Utah Jazz. Yep. I did not think that's how Johnny Juzang's entrance into the NBA was. I thought he'd be at least a second round pick. But And the thing, like he's <laughs> he's an isolation mid-range scorer who had a terrific stretch of basketball and couldn't really replicate it. I mean, outside is limited, it, but it's I hard. wouldn't be surprised if he stuck, because he's a guy that can go give you 15 points off the bench. Right. Yeah. Um, Jalen Attaway, St. Bonaventure, uh, summer league with the Miami Heat. Kenneth Lofton Jr. Yeah. Two way contract with the Memphis Grizzlies. Love it. Absolutely love that it. That team. If both he and Roddy end up playing minutes mm-hmm. on that roster. To, and you put them on the floor together. At the very least, Summer League is going to be lit. Yeah, it just, <laughs> the most bizarre, hardest to figure out how to guard team of all time with those two guys out there. So, all right, guys, remember, we're playing David Roddy and <laughs> Kendall Lofton Jr. today. Um, uh, Colin Gillespie, yes. two-way deal with Denver. Yeah. I like that. With all these all these uh, really good college point guards that are headed, there, headed over the, to Denver. Just the next iteration just the next of iteration. the Denver Nuggets point guard hierarchy, Jamal Murray. Monte Morris, Kyle Gillespie. That's why. Okay, let's see if Shams has any other ones. But those are those are the ones that I've seen uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweet out. Um, you know who else the Pacers could have picked at thirty three? Sorry, thirty one. Hit me. What in the world happened to Justin Lewis? Oh yeah, undrafted. Right, undrafted. Undrafted. Right? Yeah. I didn't see he signed a deal yet. Maybe he's still working mm-hmm. things out. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, He's going to end up somewhere. Theo probably. John playing summer league for the Timberwolves. Excellent. Love oh, it. they could use him. Uh, Justin Lewis, two-way NBA deal with the Chicago Bulls. Okay. That's a, that's a team he could get some minutes on, too. Good for him. Um, Love that. Keon Ellis from Alabama, yeah. two-way deal with the Kings. Uh, Cole Swider from mm. Syracuse, two-way contract with the Lakers. Um, they got themselves some uh, Along with Scottie Pippen Jr. Uh, got a two-way contract with the Lakers. That is not a bad trio of guys to have coming in if you're the Lakers to try and figure out either how to fill this roster out right. or how to get some shooting on the floor, but primarily like, how to fill this thing out without going catastrophically financially, you know, from a uh, cap space perspective. Sharif O'Neal, yeah. Lakers, summer league deal. 
Um, and I believe that's that's all I've got for you. I love how, you know, early on in the draft that Shams is like tweeting out the the link to the live stream and like a bunch in like some context and stuff. And then when you get to the end of the like the end of the draft, it's like the same copy paste <laughs> with just the different name number and team the team number and selection um but yeah. then again that kind of feels how that that's kind of the vibe in the whole building it's just like let's get over with this let's you know get to the cocktail party <laughs> did you see what Malika andrews said at one point during the broadcast no they did were... she did super well by the way first time on the, she's and Malika andrews being talented is not a yeah is it now now i have some reservations about the guys that she was i was not a fan the of the overall with. broadcast i will say that no but it I, wasn't specific to her though. Um, but Kendrick Perkins just kind of is frustrating. Ben Simmons and Paulo Bancaro is a comparison. That one will always confuse me. Yahoo oh, there was another one. I can't remember what he said. Well, Desmond Bain took it personally and went after him on Twitter. You see that? Yes, I did see that. <laughs> I did see that. That jaw got involved. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what in particular he said. What in what context? But I remember thinking like what. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And well, and then in all of that, so I was reading this Yahoo article that had a list of all of his comparisons. Mm-hmm. And they just threw out Jabari Smith and Kevin Durant. Like that was saying Paulo Bancaro was Ben Simmons. And I thought, no, that is the per- that is a spot on comparison. Right. We've been talking about this all year. If there is an NBA player that is similar to Jabari Smith, if you want an understanding of what he brings, it is Kevin Durant. Yeah. The now he's a little bit smaller, but the six foot ten dude with long arms who can shoot the lights out, and you can't stop him. You can't guard his shot. Mm. I was a little offended that they took that comparison and threw it in there with the rest. But yeah, there were some questionable, questionable things going on. Although it is difficult, and I was trying to think, okay, what kind of other comparisons? You got to say something. Yeah, I suppose. Just you know, maybe not Ben for Paulo Bancaro, but yeah. whatever. Anything else? We gotta decide where we're. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube now. Yes, please do. Yes, woohoo! Change for today's podcast. Just search it. I think next we're gonna do do our non basketball. Are, are, stra- are we straying from basketball for a little while? We always do it in I the love summer. It. I love it. We'll have to maybe maybe we'll have a special guest appearance first. We'll have to see. We'll see. We'll talk about it off the air. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Um, yeah, kind of uh, stray away to the to the other um, to to the the other. Uh, uh, things that we dabble in, uh, just to just to talk about something something different. It's kind of fun to do that. And then, of course, uh, not too long from now, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll dabble in some summer league, see how that's going, and um, and then before we know it, man, um, it'll be time to talk about the 2022-23 college did, basketball. Season. Did you see the headliner for the ACC Big Ten Challenge? I did. Duke, um, UNC, and Indiana in Bloomington, baby. <laughs> I don't. Part of me is going, I absolutely have to watch this game. And part of me is going, I don't know if I can mentally take it. The Okay, so Big Ten ACC Challenge is like November, right? Or is it or is it like a break in conference play? No, it's earlier than that. It's before conference play. Is it before Thanksgiving? Yes, I believe so. ACC Big Ten Challenge. Give me one moment. My, my question, you'll understand here, is ACC Big Ten Challenge 2022. I think it's... Early November? Uh, right after Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. November 28th, 29th, and 30th. Okay. Um, a collective... So, collective sum of those two teams' AP poll ranking when they play, <laughs> is it over, under oh, 15? Oh, when they play. When they play, is it over, under 15? Oh, my. Because I think... Because if you, if you made me bet, 
I think that preseason their combined will be something like 12. Yeah. That Indiana will be somewhere between 9 and 12, and I think UNC will be the number one team in the country preseason. Yeah, so that would only be dropping. And I don't know either team's schedule off the top of my head, but... Um, I will say under. You think As in, they will be a combined seeding... Sorry, ranking higher than 15. Okay, over under 20. Under. Under? It's not, they're not going to lose enough games to fall that quickly. Okay. Because I, they're right. They're going to be positioned so well whether they should be or not. Right. Either way, I did. I, I wasn't exact. Like if you told me at the beginning of last season that the headlining act for the Big Ten ACC Challenge would be a Indiana UNC <laughs> college basketball game, right there by January, right? I would have been like, "Huh? What happened?" Yeah, exactly. I mean, like even at the end of last season, like before the tournament started, I'd have been oh, like, oh, "True, true." Like, yeah, you, yeah. like we could have even gone to like March 11th, and I would have been like, "What are you talking about?" Instead, here we are. Uh, with two teams that are one's gonna probably gonna be the number one team in the country preseason, and the other's probably gonna be a top fifteen area. Oh, definitely. I I wouldn't be shocked if they're top eight. That might be true. If, I mean, they're ridiculous. gonna be top. Ten, they're gonna be ridiculous. top Big Ten teams. Ridiculous. Anyway. You're not putting the top. There's no way that the preseason top ten, you know, preseason top twenty five comes out without a top a Big Ten team in the top ten, right? It's gonna be know, Indiana. I guess it would be Indiana. Right, whether you think they should be no, or not. Just because, just because teams get worse does not mean teams that stay the same get better. That's all I'm going to say. But you're I right. said the same right. thing about UCLA last year, so yeah, I mean, I'm sticking with my logic. Yes, but UCLA went to the final yes, four. Yes, there's, a, the there's a big difference. That, it, the comparison is North Carolina, not Indiana. You're right. right. Yes. Not losing in the second round. Right. Anyways, I don't like Indiana in case you, in case you didn't realize. Um, please subscribe to the Jay Series Podcast, and Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jace for Days Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we'll put full podcasts up. We'll start uh, as we kind of figure out how this workflow will work. Um, you know, putting up little snippets, uh, using it on social media. But subscribe here uh, so you don't miss a podcast in video form. If that's how you'd like to uh, to consume the Jace for Days podcast, but thank you so much for checking out the YouTube channel. Thank you for so much for listening to this edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we will see you later.